Great to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke. We, uh, for your information, if you're here this morning, we put all of our messages up online on iTunes, on our website as podcasts. We also um, do Facebook Live every Sunday, and also we have a YouTube channel with all of our messages via video. We encourage people to go and check it out if you're not able to come on Sunday um, so that you can be with us on mission as a church. We are learning and traveling and journeying together as a family. And that's why it's so important to be part of a local church, consistently part of a local church, so that we can study and go on together. We are in Luke chapter 8. This is, uh, boy, this is a great story today. It's a short one. Um, It's so powerful. We're going to begin in verse 22. I'm going to read the passage, pray one more time that the Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us. So read with me, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Dr. Luke records this true story. One day, he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And then they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this record of this true story in the life of Jesus and his disciples, and really all of us, all of us, Lord, that we would be in this boat today, that we would see with spiritual eyes what they saw. Oh, Lord, I pray that would be true for us today. Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, I pray, in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So I I would suggest that in the past 15 to 10 10 to 15 years, if you haven't come uh, to know these two terms, global warming or climate change, you're not really awake, right? Like, it's really become a thing, hasn't it, in our world today? It's it's so obvious. I mean, there are still those who would deny something is happening, and, and there might be some logical reason for questioning that in some respect, but the science is pretty much settled, right? The science is the climate is changing. Something is going on, and it's not good. It's a reality. And the side fact is, however, also that based on our modern world and basically media, the internet, social media, one thing is true as well. We are more aware today, almost instantly, of natural disasters that are caused by climate change around the world all the time, right? It never stops. It's constant. I mean, even this morning, Janice and I are reading, and it came up on, on um, I won't mention the social media. Okay, it was Facebook. 
Yes. But I was reading my notes for the message, and, and it came up. And the reason why it came up is it was a warning about a hurricane that's coming up uh, through the Baja of Mexico. And of course, uh, Kristen's father and uh, the mission that you saw us being part of and building homes down there is potentially going to be affected by this hurricane. But also, good friends of ours, elder in our church, Wayne and Heather Penner, are currently on a ship on the way to Southern California on a holiday into that storm. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's instant. We know what's going on, and we can see the disasters that are happening in our world all around us. Well, one thing that I think we can all agree on here today is this. We, we've, we've got to a pretty good point in our culture and world where we can predict the weather, right? Like, Weather, weather people on the news. I mean, I remember watching this guy in Toronto who would draw circles behind a plexiglass. You know, it was a really interesting weatherman. And we're getting pretty good at that. I think they're really good in British Columbia when they, when they say it's going to rain. They're, they're, they're pretty accurate, right? Like almost 100% of the time, right? And when they say it's going to be sunny, not so much. Like there's a question mark there. The one thing that I have learned and I really don't trust them about is when they say there's going to be a thunderstorm. I just keep looking at Janice and going, they're lying again, right? Because like being, growing up in Toronto, like I, I just love thunderstorms. They, just, they don't happen here. They say they're going to happen, but they don't really happen. And most of you, of course, will know that just a few weeks ago, the Ottawa and Gatineau area were affected tremendously by a terrible tornado. I mean, in Canada, we're like, well, that, that doesn't happen here, right? Like that happens south of the border um, in, the, in the, the lower United States, and we see that happening all the time. Hurricanes, tornadoes, it's terrible. One went through the area of Ottawa and Gatineau, and it was devastation. It was people with the fear. Now, I don't know if you saw any of the clips, again, almost instantly up on the internet, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. One was of a young woman who's driving in her car, and she is literally screaming. And you can see that her window is open a little bit, and stuff is flying into the car, and she's just being held by fear because she feels at any moment in time her car is going to be lifted up. Others were. Homes were leveled flat. And so one thing that we see from this, and that is this, is that there is power at work on the earth. Amen? Serious power at work on the earth and throughout the cosmos that must be respected. And the question is that we will look into today is really the answer to the question has to be, where does this power come from? I mean, honestly, where does it come from? So today we arrive at a point in Luke's gospel where he lays out four miracle stories in a row. We're going to look at one today, and then over the next two weeks, the next three, two will be on one day. Um, you'll be glad to hear that. And, and really, the, the goal of answering, he's really this, answering this one question through all of these stories that he links together, and that question really is, and it's the title for your message today that we take from our text, Who then is this man? Who is this man? And so remember, as we've been saying from the very beginning, Luke's purpose in writing this gospel, he himself being a previously pagan, Gentile skeptic who came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, has a very good friend whose name is Theophilus, also a Roman pagan Gentile before he came to faith in Jesus. And Luke is recording this gospel, the whole book of Acts. He, he dedicates them to Theophilus so that he would have what? 
How many of you have been with us since last December? Certainty. Absolute certainty about who Jesus is. So this is the first miracle story in that, and that's the goal. I think it's also the goal, obviously, of the Holy Spirit in causing these things to happen, being with Christ during this storm, and causing Luke to record this story, and of course for us today. So our outline for today is three simple points. Number one is before the storm. Number two, for those of you who are taking notes, right? Many of you after last Sunday are taking notes now, right? So before the storm, number one. Number two, during the storm. And number three, after the storm. Pretty simple. Let's look at number one, before the storm. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. I love this. Jesus takes naps. It's awesome. Well, we know that this was and is, or we should know, that it's a very important story. Um, Three of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this story. Um, They record the story almost exactly the same. A few little details, as we'll see today, that are uh, added just to fill in the story for us, but they all record. So it was critical to all of their accounts of who Jesus was. That's how important this story is, three of the four. John's the only one who doesn't. John's whole approach, as we will see later, is quite different in the Gospels, and so that makes perfect sense. And so for the context of Luke and the other Gospels, we know that this was a very, very busy day for Jesus, actually, and for his disciples. Luke simply begins with the words, one day. <laughs> it's like, it's just one day, you know, like, like all the other days. No, actually, this was an incredibly interesting day. It was an incredible day. It was a day when he was being followed by enormous crowds. You'll remember that, right? Over the last few weeks, enormous crowds. Thousands of people are following him. The word has spread about who he is, what, apparently, what he's been doing, which is amazing. Free meals, healing the sick, raising people from the dead. Crowds are following him. But just recently, we know that the crowd was pressing in on him so much while he was walking along the Sea of Galilee on the shore that he got into a boat again, moved out about 20 yards so that he could speak to the whole crowd, and he preached the parable of what we called the sower, the soils, and the souls to all of them. And then later that day, as the crowds start to disperse, he goes back into Capernaum with his disciples, with his closest group, probably at that point in time, probably 30, 40, maybe 50 people, into a home, possibly Peter's home, and, and he teaches them, not only does he expound the parable for them and explain what the parable really meant to them, but then he also teaches them about the lamp, right, and the light, and, and what we learned last week about them having the heart of missionaries, and it was like the, the pre-mission, uh, right? The pre-go and make disciples. He said, you need to go and shine your light. You, the good, good soil, is what you need to do. So, so now it's, it's evening. We need to see this. The lake is calm. It's late. It's probably just after dusk. It's evening, almost dark. It's been a very, very long day. Most of the crowds have now gone home to eat and rest. Hopefully, they'll find him tomorrow and get some more out of him. And so Jesus, we can clearly understand, is extremely tired. He's human, too. 
He's very exhausted. And so he gets into the boat and steps into the boat and he says to his disciples, let's go over there. It's about five miles. Let's head over there. He's so exhausted, he lies down in the stern of the boat, and I believe it was in Mark's gospel where he tells us that he lied down on the hardwood with a pillow under his head, and he falls asleep. He falls asleep. I I so love how Jesus disciples his disciples. I love it. If you read the Gospels, especially in Matthew's Gospel, you know when he calls the disciples, right? He calls the fishermen to leave their boats and come and follow him. And you're thinking that, yeah, what he's going to do is he's going to start a Bible 101 class, right? He's going to teach them theology. No, he just decides to take them on a road trip. And the lesson of theology is in real life. But it's always about teaching his disciples. It's all, always about discipling them. And he took them on a road trip in Matthew, right? And he, and he immediately starts preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. And you can go back in Matthew chapter 4 and read it. That's how he discipled people. Constantly saying, follow me while I'm doing ministry and I'm going to teach you lessons about how to be good disciples who make disciples. And that's exactly what he does here today. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And so, Here we see him leading them on a road trip, a boat trip, which is going to be a lesson in ministry that was critical for, listen, their spiritual growth. I mean, it's one thing to see all the things that Jesus is doing, but let's face it, we all know this. At some point in time, it's it's not about knowing who Jesus is, is it? It's about trusting him as God as your personal Savior. That's what this lesson is all about. So now, after an exhausting day, this is what we need to see at the outset. We need to see this at the very beginning. Jesus takes them intentionally into this lesson. He knows what's coming. They don't, clearly. He fully knows what's happening. And his desire is to build their faith to strengthen them for the ministry that he is calling them to. This storm that is to come is no accident. Now, why would he want to prepare them for ministry in this way? Do you know what their life was like after Jesus was dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended? A lot of storms, right? Persecution. Eleven of the twelve apostles put to death for their faith in Jesus. Many others put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. They needed to be prepared. So do you and I. Before the storm. Number two, during the storm. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. So Luke tells us that it was a lake, uh, which it is. It's, low, it's known, and we'll see it a little later in um, two weeks, as Lake Gennesaret, also known today as Lake Kenneret. Uh, but it was commonly referred to as the Sea of Galilee because that's the region it was in, uh, the, the region of Galilee, so it's also known as the Sea of Galilee. But it is a lake. It's still there today, and it's a popular tourist destination because of the life of Jesus and this story. 
because of this story. It's really a popular destination. Uh, it's, it's a freshwater lake that has a very interesting history since the days of Jesus, and it's been studied by climatologists, scientists for many, many years because there are many very intriguing things about this lake, let alone the miracle that takes place on this lake, right? Many, many amazing things that we could learn about it. And to this day, by the way, it's still teeming with fish. I read online about some of the tourists are off, and maybe they're just advertising this and it's not true, but no, I think it is. Apparently, like the, the, the side restaurants and so forth are, are just full of places to eat the same fish, the same fish that Peter and the apostles caught in those days. It's an interesting name. I can't pronounce it. It's, a, not, it's not like a salmon. It's a different kind of freshwater fish that's only available in that area and still being caught in that area. This lake is also known since the days of Jesus as a very dangerous lake. Uh, it is. <laughs> Same lake. Good question. Thank you. So let's, storms to this day, it's really a treacherous lake. It's approximately 21 kilometers long, 13 kilometers wide, and its surface, listen to this, is approximately 700 feet, the surface of the lake, 700 feet below sea level. It's, it's one of the farthest below sea level of any lakes on the planet. And it's approximately about two to 300 feet deep at its deepest. It's fed by Mount Hermon and other mountains in the region with fresh water. And if you Google pictures, I actually went on Street View. It's cool, right? You go on Street View and you can tour the Sea of Galilee. Now, Capernaum's basically not there anymore, but the whole area is there. And what you'll notice is, I notice as soon as I'm looking at it on Street View, I'm going, it looks like Kelowna. It looks like the Okanagan. The, the mountains are quite bald, but there's a lot of vegetation because of the, the natural irrigation from this freshwater lake. And there are, as a result of that, it's a perfect area for vineyards. A lot of vineyards. So it's very similar to our Okanagan region. But one of its most notable features is this. It shares something that Squamish shares. Have you ever noticed that it's windy here? Someone brought that up recently. I went, what? It is? Really? Of course it is. I cannot pronounce the name, the uh, Squamish Nation uh, language name. It's really interesting the way it's spelled. It's spelled S-K-W-X-W-U, the number seven, Mesh, M-E-S-H. That's... Can you say it for me? That's perfect. I actually checked it online, but I'm not going to try it. This gentleman can do it. That's awesome. Actually, the literal translation that I read was that it, it stands for Mother of wind. And we know that, right? In the summertime, what happens typically is somewhere around 2 o'clock, the wind starts to build off the water, and it goes that way, right? It, it heads inland and north. And the reason for that is, is the wind typically wants to follow from cooler to heat, right? So in the summertime, we've got Whistler, Pemberton, Lillooet, desert in the interior. And so around 2 o'clock, the wind goes boom, that way. And it is constant, right? And then some people like it, some people not so much. And then in the winter, it changes direction. That's why we talk about the Arctic outflow, right? It comes down the valley because it's going from cold in the interior to the warm here. That is exactly what we're talking about. It's the same kind of climate. It is the same kind of area. It's very intriguing, interesting. And I thought that was quite relevant to us today. So looking at our text here today, we can see a very real descriptive account of the kind of wind that is taking place here. You see that the word is used, windstorm. 
In the Greek, it literally could be translated whirlwind or hurricane. A very, very serious and treacherous wind. It came, also look at this, down on the lake. And, and one of the things that we learned from some of the other uh, tr- uh, uh, writers is that it, it came down on them suddenly. It just autumn, it just came up, it, it surprised them. They weren't expecting it. It was nighttime. It was calm when they set out. Beautiful starry night. And then all of a sudden, storm. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, I was foolish enough one time when we were camping up at Chilliwack Lake many, many years ago. I'm a pretty good canoeer, you know, like Boy Scout, you know, did the, uh, the uh, Agonquin Park, you know, lakes and stuff like that, portaging, you know, like back in the day. We're up at Cultus Lake. We're camping with the kids. Beautiful afternoon. I jump in my canoe. I go out like an idiot without my life preserver. It's many years ago. I've, I've, I've matured since then. But I'm out on the lake, and I'm just paddling along. It's awesome. It's beautiful. I get to the other side. It's not that wide, really. It's maybe a kilometer wide at this point. And suddenly, to me, out of nowhere anyway, a ferocious wind came down from the mountain area onto the lake. I mean, the smart thing for me to do would have been, because I was only about from here to that wall, away from the shore on the far side, would have been to go, I'll go there. Right? And, and be safe and, and wait out the, the wind and storm. And, but it was like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, and I could smell the barbecue back at the, that Janice was cooking, and I was like, I can do this. I turned the, the, the canoe into the water and the waves, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything. The wind was blowing the front of the canoe up. It was like, and then there was a point, I'm all of a sudden now like a third of the way ba- back maybe, and I'm like, okay, now I'm in real trouble. I'm in the middle of the lake. I go in, I'm in serious trouble. Fortunately, the Lord, uh, I believe, was with me, and I remembered my canoeing techniques as a Boy Scout, and I decided to turn myself around in the canoe and sit in the front of the boat as I pulled myself through the water, and that worked. But I remembered how suddenly that came up. Never forgot that. Never going to happen again. It scared me. It really did. I was fearful at that point in time. So Luke tells us this. They were filling with water. I wasn't, but they, uh, they were. They were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And so it can't be made much clearer, right? The boat, I have a picture of a boat similar to what they would have used. This is actually, there's the Sea of Galilee. It looks like the Okanagan, doesn't it? That's actually a little thing that they put there near Capernaum and a boat that Jesus apparently was in. It's similar. Some think there was one that actually had a top on it, but that's pretty similar. And so they're in this boat. It's filling with water. They're in real danger of capsizing, sinking, and all of them perishing. Now, let's remember this as well. Like, some of these men are pretty tough guys. Peter, James, John, Andrew, fishermen, right? They've seen conditions like this before. Come on. They've been in situations like this before. Apparently not. This was apparently a really bad one, worse than anything they've been in before. So remember also, some of the men, they're they're the ones who are retelling this to Luke, right? Luke wasn't there. Luke didn't know Jesus personally. He used his journalistic skills, and as a historian, he went and asked all these people who were eyewitnesses to tell him the story. So in other words, he's actually talking to some of the men who are in the boat when he's recording this. I think that's interesting because he's looking these guys in the eyes and, you know, there's Peter. I I don't know who he was talking about, but they're big, strong fishermen. 
And he's seeing that they clearly were full of fear. And they twice have to yell out the phrase, Master! Master! And it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I first read that, I'm kind of like, okay, wait, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. okay, so they shook him or something, I don't know. Ah, they yelled at him, but he awoke? Do you not, does that... So what this is telling us is he slept through all of that? That's a really important detail. Now, some could say, well, <laughs> he was that exhausted. He slept through the whole thing. So please see this at this point. Think about this. Before the storm, there was what? I'm not going to answer it yet. During the storm, there was what? I'm not going to answer that yet. I want you to think about that as we get to our conclusion. But Luke tells us Jesus awoke, and look what it says. He rebuked the wind. It literally could be translated, he called it down. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. There was calm. Mark is the one who records the words Jesus saying, quiet, be still. From the front of the boat. So now comes the lesson to this intentional boat trip that Jesus led them into. It's the lesson that he had for them, and it's the lesson that the Holy Spirit has for you and myself here today. It's an amazing, amazing lesson. Number three, after the storm, Jesus said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Where is your faith? It's got to stick, eh? I mean, it's got to hurt. They love this man. They've been following him for a few years now, and he's, he's looking at them going, Where is your faith? So we need to imagine the picture. We need to step into the boat as hard as it is 2,000 years out, put ourselves in the boat, but we need to do that a little bit. There were approximately, historians feel, 18 to possibly 24 men in the boat at that time. It would have been mostly men disciples who would have gotten in the boat with them at that time. They started out likely on calm water in, in moonlit skies, and suddenly the most fearsome storm they had ever seen descends on them. One minute Jesus is lying asleep in the stern. The next, he's awake, standing in front of them, and guess what's happening? Complete calm, complete silence. Fierce storm, raging waves, wind, complete silence. complete calm. The, the, the language that's intended in the Greek here is that it is instant. The, the waves aren't still rolling a little bit. No, they are glass. They are completely glass. And then Jesus looks them all in the eyes and asks, 
Where is your faith? He doesn't even have to yell that out. It's so quiet and still. Where is your faith? I think there was more silence at that point, don't you? There's no record of any of them responding to him. But there is record of them marveling and speaking to one another, right? I mean, they've been with him now for some time. He's healed thousands of people, right? He, he has the centurion's servant he healed even from a distance. He, he was, went to the town of Nain, and the, there's a funeral procession going by, and the widow is there, and her son is on, the, and, and he raises him from the dead. They've heard all of his preaching all this time, and yet this night they're in the boat at sea in a storm that many of them have dealt with before in their lives. They see Jesus fall fast asleep, obviously not troubled at all, and yet Again, they are afraid for their lives. So it might sound harsh what Jesus asks, and it is in one sense, but it is why he's taken them on this boat trip. And it is to teach them and you and I this lesson, who he is. Really, who he is. So look how Luke records it. They understood the question about their lack of faith, fair game. Uh, we lacked faith, but... but Now look at what actually happens. Luke says that they, after the storm, were afraid. They they were afraid during the storm, and that's why they woke him up. But this is after the storm, and they're afraid. So stop there and think about that. Do you see it? Do you see it yet? During the storm, they feared that they were going to perish, but now after the storm, they're afraid. So, afraid of what? They're afraid of what they just saw. The the sea is completely calm. And it says, and and then we read, and they marveled, saying to one another, hey, who who then is this? Who who are we in the boat with? That, that, listen, even, even the wind and the waves, they listen to him, they obey him, So here we arrive at the question that they asked and that everyone must ask, who then is this man, really? Who is he? Who is he? So imagine you are in the midst of a tornado like the one that touched down in Ottawa or Gatineau a week ago. Imagine you're there and all the chaos that maybe some of you have seen on television or on Instagram is taking place. Buildings are being ripped apart, you know, like cars flying through the air, people screaming, you know, a gal with her window down screaming that, you know, like she's fearful that her car is going to be killed, right? And then someone's yelling out, someone please help us stop this. And a local pastor who just happens to have the Holy Spirit in him is there and he hears that prayer and he cries out to God, God, stop this tornado. And cars and trees fall to the earth. The wind stops completely. What do you think would happen if that were to happen? What would your response be? For, <laughs> for many years, a medicine, he's some kind of medicine man, that's for sure. For, listen, for many years when I was growing up, I loved magic. 
love magic, just tricks and stuff like that. It, it, it intrigued me, right? But I also loved illusionists. I remember many years ago, kind of gotten over that now, mainly because I've figured out many of the tricks. Uh, but I remember watching a, a Vegas uh, really popular guy one time doing an illusion, like real close-up illusion with some people. And, and he, was, he was performing this magic and this illusion, and there were a bunch of people around him, but there were two women. They, they were, I, I'm thinking, mid-30s, maybe 40s. So not, we're not talking teenagers, kids, right? We're talking mature women, and they're watching this. And, and the moment, the moment that he pulled off the illusion and the things that were before them all, like right there, right in front of them, were gone, the one woman just was like, oh, gosh. And, and I mean, sh- she just bolted away, two or three feet away. And when he went to her, because he could see that she was full of fear, she was, don't touch me. I'm not making this up, right? It's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. Even the winds and the water obey him. And so the point in the story is clear. They not, may not be as scientifically savvy and up-to-date as we are today, uh, but even they knew that this does not happen. This kind of thing just doesn't happen. Nobody can do this. We don't know how you did the healings and the raising from the dead. Maybe there's some trick to that. Maybe there's some scientific explanation. But this? No way. Not explainable. So, friends, we've arrived at one of the most important stories in the life of Jesus, haven't we? And when I say important, it's important on two levels. It's important in that it reveals who he really is, and secondly, how important it is to you, to me, and to everyone else. We cannot just simply take him as some wise sage, can we? We we can't just simply take him as someone who loved the poor and the needy and fed them. We can't take him that way only. He doesn't leave room for that at all. And this story is the beginning of showing that there is no other explanation, no human explanation for this kind of power. The only explanation is divine. It's the only explanation. So we, we, we began today speaking about power of nature and, and our futile human ability to have any real control over it. But the question that must be answered is not the question that most enlightened scientists of our day are trying to answer. That question has to be, where does the power come from that sustains everything? Not only that created everything, but that sustains everything. And so here are just a few examples for you of what must be taken into account when we consider this story and who then this really is. The Scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Full stop, end of declaration statement. God did it, is what the Scripture teaches us. But we learn a lot more in verse 3 where it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Bible is clear from the beginning to the middle to the end that God spoke creation into existence. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's clear. 
When I was up at Quest a few weeks ago, most of you know that I went up to the philosophy of religion class to try to answer the question, why I should believe in God. Thank you for praying for me. It was awesome. But, but the class this time, I was up there last year, this time really got fixated on the one question that they wanted answered. They wanted to, they wanted to prove the point that there is a controversy, there is a contradiction between evolution and the Bible. And so I actually asked them this question. I said, I asked if they all believed in the Big Bang, right? And of course, I knew they would all go, well, yeah, of course. And so I read for them once, once more, uh, verse 3 of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. That was the first thing that he said. And I said, so up until verse 3 anyway, we're on the same page, right? They didn't quite understand where I was getting at, but we are. We are. But we also know much more about who spoke creation into existence, or we should know, right? John writes in the beginning of his gospel these beautiful and amazing words. You all know them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made. Through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The Greek word that is used there is the word logos, where we get the word logic. Jesus is the logic of God. He is the one who spoke things into existence in Genesis because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Elohim, plural, in the beginning God created, were all there. But Jesus is the agent of creation, and that's what we learn. All things made through him, nothing was made without him. Paul says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him, look at this, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Hebrews 1 1 to 3 says, long ago, at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I have one more scripture for you. Revelation, spoken about the Lamb in the future. When He winds everything up, these are the words. Worthy are You, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Friends, what we understand is true about Jesus is this. He is the Creator and the sustainer. So try this with me just for five seconds, maybe longer. Let's, let's count our heartbeats. Count with me, would you? One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Four, one thousand. Five, one thousand. Stop. Not your heart. Listen. For those of you who ever, ever question, I, 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 don't, I don't feel close to God. I, I don't know where He is. I'm in a storm. I don't know what's going on. You just experienced him. He caused your heart to beat five times. Do we understand that? Do you understand that? Your breaths, your eye blinks. <laughs> it's caused by power. It's not a, an accident. It's not by chance. 
I want to give you some mind-boggling facts as we conclude. Uh, The size of the universe, the work of Edwin Hubble based on the Doppler effect has shown that all red spectrum galaxies are moving away from us at a blistering speed and that nearly all of the galaxies are red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding. Sometimes estimates, they say, that the most distant galaxy, hear this, is 8 billion light years away. It's racing away at 200 million miles an hour. That's fast. Then there's the size of just this little third rock from the sun and the sun itself that we live on, right? The speed of the earth and the sun. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter, diameter. The earth weighs 6 septillion, 500 sextillion tons. I have to read that because I'd never remember that from my science classes, okay? But that's the truth. It's very heavy. And yet it still sits in space spinning. Now, some of you think you can run faster than me. I'm going 1,000 miles an hour just standing right here. Did you know that? Okay, so are you. All of us are. And then at the same time that you and I are spinning around at 1,000 miles an hour because that's what the earth is moving at, the, the, the earth is moving around the sun at another blistering rate of speed, and yet we're all being held together at the same time. And so the question is, Where does that kind of power come from? Random chance? A fluke of nature? Ex nihilo? Out of nothing? Nonsense. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. So earlier I asked this. Before the storm there was what? During the storm, there was what? After the storm, there was what? Two things. Before, during, and after, there was Jesus. Before, during, and after, there was calm. If you're in Jesus Christ here today, before, during, and after... It's all calm. It should be. Let me finish by asking you and myself the question that he asked them in the boat on that day. Where is your faith? Where is our faith? Pray with me, would you?